and we're turning to the book of 1 John once again. We're turning to this study in 1 John, and we're going to read from 1 John chapter 4 and the verse 20, and we're going to read through to 1 John chapter 5 and the verse 3. 1 John chapter 4 and the verse 20, reading on into chapter 5. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Amen. We know that God will add his own blessing to the reading of his inspired and infallible word. Let us bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that we derive from it as we consider your word today. We pray for your help and your assistance. Father, I pray the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. We're going to think upon the subject today, loving the family of God. I was greatly encouraged uh, in conducting these studies through First John, uh, because whenever we came to the uh, radio broadcast just, just a month ago now, uh, well, the, the study had taken us right there to, to verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Whenever one conducts a, a series of studies, you're always uh, looking for messages that are appropriate and signs uh, that God has been leading us in, in a good direction. And uh, whenever we came to that verse right there for that particular uh, Lord's Day, well, I knew what the message was, and we still pray that God will use that message and use it to comfort and speak to hearts, uh, fearful hearts, concerning their need of a Savior and concerning peace in this world. Uh, now we come to these verses uh, 20 through to chapter 5 and the verse 3, where we learn about loving the family of God. But as it has been a few weeks since we have been looking at First John, I think it's good just to do a little recap. And the, the, the way I want to conduct this recap is just to draw this to your attention. John, throughout First John, is teaching us that when we are saved, there needs to be evidence being saved isn't just about having a title, I'm saved. Being saved isn't just about having profession. I remember uh, an old man that I knew whenever I was a, a young teenager, and he used to use this phrase that always struck me, and I never forgot. He said, there needs to be profession, but there also needs to be possession, and some of profession without possession. And that's very true. And there needs to be the evidence of someone, indeed, does possess the Lord. 
Well, there needs to be the evidence. And John constantly teaches us here what these evidences are, the evidence that we are indeed the children of God. And that's why the, the key text of this study is so important. First John chapter 1 and the verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's the ultimate evidence. We walk in the light. The Christian is someone that walks in the light. And walking is an external thing. It's what people can see, what people can recognize. We need to walk in the light as God is in the light. And we're fellowshipping with one another. And that immediately ties in with the, the study today, loving the family of God. We're fellowshipping with each other because we fellowship with God, first of all. We're walking in harmony with Him. And one of the signs will be the fellowship we have with, with one another. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, we discover that confession is one of the signs. Confessing our sins, knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We will not experience the consciousness of forgiveness if we do not, first of all, learn to confess. And whenever we work our way through 1 John, he does emphasize love, and the loving of the brethren is something that's very important. He he comes straight to this in 1 John chapter 2, the verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling to him. So somebody that's in the light will have love for, for the brethren. Uh, the people who are the children of God, there will be the evidence of, of overcoming, of going on with God. And that ties in with the talk upon sanctification. There's the idea of progress. Whenever we belong to the Lord. We, we make progress. And in 1 John chapter 2 and the verse 14, he says, I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong. The word of God abideth in you. You have overcome the wicked one. So there needs to be a life of overcoming, a life of repudiating worldliness for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. He that doeth the will of God bideth forever. Doing God's word, repudiating the spirit of this world. These are some of the signs that uh, John has been dealing with, the, the, the signs of the Christian, the evidence that we are indeed walking in the light as God is in the light. Uh, we spent several weeks looking at falsehoods that exist in the world. And one of the, the signs of walking in the light is that we're able to discern between the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. And First John chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 3, deals very much with that, having that spirit to recognize what falsehood is and staying away from that falsehood, knowing what is error and why it is error. And so, these are the, the evidences of the believer. And we aren't merely to look for those evidences in others. This isn't uh, about finger pointing and looking at others. We should never be like that. We should never come to God's house and be looking around at others. We should be looking in here. These are messages for the heart, for my heart, and I trust for your heart as well and that we will look into our own lives, and we will look for these evidences. And if these evidences don't exist, well, we need to ask ourselves serious questions, as God would have us ask serious questions, as God would ask questions of us. Or 
as is very often the case. Uh, these evidences aren't there in the abundance. They should be there. And there's no one that ex ex has these evidences the way they should be there. So these evidences need to be strengthened. Um, we need to experience more of them uh, if we are to show forth to the world that we belong to the Lord. And, and so we're dealing with the test of brotherly love. And this is one of the evidences that someone is indeed walking in the, Lord, walking in the light uh, whenever they have love for the family of God. Um, the, the basis of this love, and just before we get into the body of the message, let's just emphasize the basis of this love. The basis of this love for the family of God. Verse 19 has it. We love him because he first loved us. That's the basis. That's, that, that's the foundation of, of Christian love. It begins with the cross. It begins with the cross of Christ. And that's why it's so vital for Christians to be in the gospel service. Whenever the great story of the cross is unfolded, whenever the gospel is presented, not just presented to those that do not know the Lord, but presented to those that are saved as well, because we need to know more of this love, the more we know of the love of Christ for us. The more we understand that love, appreciate that love, the more we are enabled to live that love out, work that love through, uh, that others will see it. That's why it's so important for us to be at the Lord's table. And the Lord's table is a command to do this in, in obedience to the Lord. Do this in remembrance of me, we are taught, because it's about having our minds and hearts filled with the love of God. We love him because he first loved us. And having said that, having said that, having talked about our debt to grace, our debt to God's love, he moves on immediately to say in verse 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath not seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So let's consider what the Scriptures has to say here about this subject, loving the family of God. In the first place, let's think about this verse 20. Here we have the sin against love. The sin against love or the sin against Christian love. The Christian love that we are commanded to exercise. This sin against love, this sin of, of hating one's brother. Very strong language, isn't it? If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Strong and uncompromising language. If we claim to be lovers of God and we have a hatred for one that is our brother, then we don't have God's love. God's love doesn't exist. We are liars. This is what the Scripture says. And then he goes on to say this very interesting phrase, and it is a, a curious way of putting it, and something we need to grasp. I think this is what lies at the heart of, of this sin. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? God is one that we cannot see. We cannot see God with our eyes. We cannot touch God with our hands. We, we, we cannot physically experience God for we can't see God. But the world around us needs to see the unseen God. 
And how can we bring the unseen God to this dying world? Because this dying world is a materialistic world. We talked about the flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what we are. We're flesh and blood. Man goes by what he can see, what he can feel, what he can touch, what he can experience physically. But here is the unseen God. The God whom we cannot see has made everything we can see. But how can the unseen God become real in a materialistic world? How can that happen? How can we do that? How can we bring the reality of God to this world around us? That's the challenge. For he's a God that we cannot see. How can people know that God, experience that God? We have a duty to bring God's word to men and women. But how can they know it's real? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our ministry. We have people around us in this community. They're dying. They're lost. How can they know this unseen God? They can know the God whom we cannot see through our love. That's how they see God. We don't have this love of God working out in our lives. The world around us will die and go to hell because they won't see the love of God in us. And that's the challenge. And therefore, we need to love the world in a practical way, yes. We need to be there to help people that are in need, to be of assistance to people, that people will know, our neighbors will know if if, if they're in trouble, that there's a man, there's a woman, they, they won't walk by on the other side. They, they won't ignore us. But if we ask for help, they're going to be there. That's really important that we have that practical spirit of, of sacrifice, of, of generosity, of being able to put ourselves out for others that are in need. But then the world needs to see our, our spiritual love for their souls that we care for their souls because without Christ they'll be lost. People need to see that. They need to see the unseen God through our love for them and it needs to be a universal love for all people without exception. You know, whenever John said, for God so loved the world, or John recorded what Christ said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world. And that was such an important phrase because that indicated that Jesus Christ came to die for Jews and he came to die for Greeks. He came to span the, the great divide that existed in the ancient world. It was a sectarian divide. It was a religious divide. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Jews regarded the Gentiles as dogs. There was this chasm and yet within the Christian church, God made one new man. The Jew and the Gentile could be together in the body of Christ. And so the Lord had a love for the Samaritan, for the Jew, for the Gentile. And we do live in a divided society. Uh, we live in a society where there's sectarian divide, where there's hatred. And how can this country be changed for the better? How can peace come? Only through the gospel. And only through us recognizing that all people need Christ 
And we need to be there to reach them wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever their circumstances, whatever their situations, wherever they hang their hat on a Sunday, that the gospel can make the difference. But we need that love, that passion in our heart for the souls of the perishing. And they'll not see the unseen God unless they see our love for them. But this goes deeper still because we will not have the capacity to love a world of sinners lost if we do not love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why John emphasizes this so strongly. The character of God needs to be revealed through our characters. The nature of God needs to be revealed through our natures. Therefore, if we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are reflecting in a very poor way the unseen God to the world around us. Before the world sees our love for their souls, the world needs to see our love for one another. The attractiveness of a Christian society, of a Christian community, of a Christian fellowship. There needs to be something special about that. And we'll never win the world. The world doesn't see the special nature of the family of God. And so it is a grave sin indeed to refuse to exercise this love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's look at the command now. Because we come to verse 21. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So this is a command. And to to me there's an urgency here. Wherever there is a command, there's an urgency where, where we are commanded to do something. We're not to leave it until tomorrow or the next day. It needs to be done now. There's a command. It's not a command from the pulpit. It's not a command from the, the, the ordinances of the church. It's a command from God. And it's a command from Christ. And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. And we need to take that to heart. For when our Savior commands us to do something, we need to sit up, pay attention, change things if things need to be changed. And through the course of this message, before we come to a close, we'll look at some of these commands that do come from the Savior. And we'll think about what he himself has to say to us on, on this matter. But let's move on to the logic now. Because whenever we come to chapter 5, and always remember that the Scriptures were not written in chapters and verses. They were written in books, but they weren't written in chapters and verses. And the chapters and verses were a very good invention because they helped us find our way around. But we must always remember that the words of one chapter flow into the next, and they did, as the words were inspired by the Spirit. And so this theme continues right into chapter 5. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that beloveth him 
that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. The logic is we belong to the family of God. That's the logic. That's the simple logic. If we believe that Jesus is the Christ, we're born of God. We're part of a family. Whenever we are born, we become part of a family. And we know that families speak of loyalty, loyalty to one another. A family is a very blessed thing to be part of a group of people come from the same parentage, have the same ancestry, sharing so much in common. That creates loyalty. It creates togetherness. That's the blessedness of of family. And we often say that blood runs thicker than water. And there's a lot of truth in that. But here's a spiritual birth. Here's a spiritual family. And a spiritual family ought to be more precious than an earthly family. It ought to be. Because earthly ties are severed. They are. Over the process of time, and then death comes, and earthly ties are severed. And, and the Lord said that in the kingdom of heaven, for example, we'll neither be married nor will we be given in marriage. And so there is the sense that in heaven, why we will know each other in heaven. I believe that passionately. I believe I can prove that from scriptures. We will know each other in heaven. But ultimately, the spiritual will supersede our natural ties. And we'll see each other as we are in Christ. And therefore, this spiritual union that we have is the union that truly will last. Union that will last throughout eternity. We will literally share heaven with each other, with our Savior forever. And what a happy place that's going to be. And if we are loyal to our earthly families, and we ought to be, and that's a very important thing, we ought to be even more loyal to our spiritual family, to our brothers and to our sisters in Christ. God, it pleases God to bring us into contact with others that we might be improved. That's, that's the way God works. Uh, the, the, the purpose of marriage, uh, two people become one. They, they are joined together as one. And they learn from each other. And they progress together in life. And they adapt and they change. And they are improved. And that's the whole purpose of marriage. It was not good for man to be alone. Therefore, God gave Adam a helpmate. And so it is within the church. God providentially has brought us into a church. He's brought us into a fellowship. It's such an important word for the church family. We are a fellowship of people. And he wants us to learn from each other. He wants us to work together for the good of the gospel. He wants us to have that spirit that will care for one another and at times forgive each other in order that we might be improved, in order that we might show this this love of God. You see, love should always say that's, that's a child of God and that should dominate how we view each other within this family of the church. Let's move on now to think of something else that is implied. Something that is implied, not necessarily spelt out here, but it is implied, and therefore 
I think it's good just to draw it to your attention. The characteristics of this brotherly spirit, this love for the the family of God. You see, we are told here in the verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So it's quite evident these two things, they go together. We love God, we keep His commandments. We love the children of God. They all flow together. They all run together. So what does it mean to love the, the family of God? And this is where the example of Christ is so important and so necessary. Turn with me over to John chapter 13, please. John chapter 13, we have this famous incident, the very start of the the supper, would be known as the Last Supper. The Lord began to wash the feet of the disciples, and Simon Peter started to rebuke the Lord, Lord, you can't wash my feet. And then the Savior said in the verse 14, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. And there the Lord was telling the disciples that they should be humble before one another. And he is the great example of humility. Humility is a very hard thing. It's a tough thing. It's a tough thing to say I've made mistakes, I've got things wrong. It's a tough thing to say I've said something I shouldn't have said. That's just really hard. And then we think of Christ. He humbled himself, was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You think of that selflessness. And that's, that's our motivation. It's Christ, the spirit of humility, spirit of sacrifice, of self-sacrifice. It's the spirit of Christ himself. The Spirit of forgiveness. Turn with me over to the Gospel of, of, of Matthew, and to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 and the verse 21. It's often Peter that seems to hear these things. He's the one asking the questions. He's the one challenging, often saying what other men would have had in their heart. And Peter asked the Lord in verse 21 of Matthew 18, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. That's a big challenge. Seventy times seven. It deals with our bitternesses and our anger and our grudges until seventy times seven. The importance of exercising forgiveness within the, the family of God. And this is something that comes from the Savior Himself. You know, the Lord in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, He, he said something pretty amazing relating to the, the judgment day. And there were those that he was rejecting. And he rejected the goats because he was hungry and he wasn't fed. He was thirsty and he wasn't given anything to drink. He was naked and he wasn't clothed. And 
And of course, the, the goats were saying, look, when did we do that? He, he said, you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren. But, but then you come to the sheep, and you look at what the king said in verse 40. The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. He said, you can come, you can enjoy the kingdom that I've prepared for you because you've been here to look after the least of these, my brethren. And it's this idea that we're part of the family of the church. It comes back to the idea of family, being born into the family of God. And because we've been born into the family of God, whenever one suffers, that's one that's part of God's family that's suffering. And even the one that's the very least in the kingdom of God, child of God. And therefore, what we do for them, we do for Christ. And it's that spirit of Christ, that spirit that Christ recognizes that we need to bear in mind, the characteristics of, of this love. But finally, briefly, the, the blessedness, the blessedness in this love. And we come back now to, to 1 John chapter 5. And we read there in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. You know, anything the Lord asks us to do is not all that tough. It's, it's not grievous. It's a blessing. It's profitable. It's good. And those that exercise this spirit of Christ, who grow in grace, who walk in the light, who show forth His love, there's a blessing for them. We want to know the blessing of God. We live out this commandment. We seek to do it. We do our utmost to do it. If we're struggling, we pray for grace and help. So to do it. But if we go down the alternative route, there's no blessing. There's no blessing. That's true of an individual. It's true of a collective group of people. No blessing. When we fail in this, there's great blessing when we succeed in this. And may so God help us to show forth His love to a dying world. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you. We thank you for your word. Help us to take the importance of it to our hearts. And help us to walk in this light. For Christ's sake.